If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older. Or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 481. In the film business, it's basically honor among thieves. Abel Ferrara. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Indie Film Hustle's Filmmaker Process. We provide filmmakers with professional services to get their films or series funded, finished, and distributed. Some of the services we offer are pitch deck creation, film budgets and schedules, domestic and international sales estimates, legal contract templates, consulting, post-production services, script coverage, professional trailer editing, poster design, film deliverables, and production payroll. To learn more, go to www.filmmakerprocess.com. Today's show is sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films. From predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them, the odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Now, guys, today on the show, we have filmmaker Greg Hemmings. Now, Greg is here to talk about 
something that is not talked about a lot in in our business, which is abuse on the set, abuse of interns, of people who are below you, um, in a way that like not physical abuse, though obviously there is that, and there's the Me Too movement and all that stuff. But we're here to talk about the verbal abuse, the the work abuse that's on a set uh, that happens, the the ribbing, the kind of just this this nastiness that happens. Like you gotta have to like kind of go through a, a hazing process almost uh, when you're on set. And uh, Greg has really come out against this and wanted to talk about what can be done, what filmmakers, especially young filmmakers coming into the business, need to understand about abuse on the set. Look, I was yelled at. I was abused. I was verbally abused by my first boss when I was working at a commercial uh, a commercial production company down in Miami. Uh, I've been abused multiple times on sets, uh, meaning uh, verbally abused and taken advantage of. I was working on a TV show as an intern, and the the executive producer of that show uh, sent me to his house to help him move. You know, these are the kind of things that you do, and what are you going to do when you're in that space, when you're that young and, you know, like this is such a powerful person, at least you perceive that they are. They can either make or break you. Are you going to say no? Are you going to just eat it? Well, that's what this whole town is built on. It's built on people eating crap a lot of times from other people who have made it to a certain level in the business who abuse them, and it needs to stop. And Greg and I really have a very candid conversation about that and what can be done, how you should react to those situations, and so on. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Greg Hemmings. I'd like to welcome to the show Greg Hemmings, man. How you doing, Greg? So good. Thanks so much for having me on. This is uh, uh, fantastic, man. man. Thank you so much for, for being on the show, man. Thanks for reaching out. A, a mutual friend of ours, Jimmy, connected us. Uh, and, uh, you know, you wanted to come on to talk about a bunch of things. And uh, I think the main focus we're going to be doing today is abuse in the business, which is shocking because I've never heard of any abuse in the business. It's been a very Pollyannic kind of world, the film industry. That there is no abuse. There's no yelling. There's no... No, um, it is a, you know, it's th- just a kind place. And, you know, it's a uh, it's certainly not a shame-based learning environment. It's a, it, it's a place to thrive and blossom. <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel so the same way. That's why I, I, uh, I'm bringing all my, all my... My children will all be st- starting from scratch. It'll be great. It'll be great. No, um, we're, we're going to talk about uh, something that really is is a little bit more in the news now. I mean, Scott Rudin um, is now famously being uh, basically thrown out of Hollywood because of the decades of abuse that he has uh, given people. I didn't know he was the he was the uh, source for the very famous film "Swimming with the Sharks." Uh, really? He was. So there was a movie called "Swimming with the Sharks" with Kevin with Kevin Spacey as. I mean, you can't write. You can't write this stuff, man. I'm sorry. So Kevin Spacey was playing the agent, and I forgot who the. I think it was John Cryer, or 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 not even. It was John Cryer or, or or another actor of that of that generation. I forgot who starred as the assistant, and the assistant was just getting. A, I mean, just destroyed by this producer, and everybody in town knew who it was, but out in the world, nobody knew, and it was Scott Rudin. He was. He was the producer. So it was a very quiet hush-hush thing. But now it just started to come out. I'm like, yeah, it was Scott Rudin who was based, the basis of that, that horrible human being. And, uh, and the whole concept of the bullying and all that stuff, we'll get, we'll get into it, man. But at first, yeah. I want to know, how did you uh, get started in this fantastically uh, Pollyannic world that is Hollywood? 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So um, I've got a very long version of the story, uh, which I will not go into, but I'll I'll try to condense it. I'll try my best to condense it. So high school. Okay, we're going way back into the Mm -hmm. mid-90s, playing in a rock band. And uh, like every kid playing drums in a rock band, you assume that's what you're going to do for a living. uh, Obviously. uh, And going to the career of uh, touring and playing music. For me, it didn't quite pan out that way. That's okay. Um, But in grade 11, I was in media studies class. And I was like, I got to make a music video for, for my band. And... Back then, of course, all we had was multiple VHS decks, and and we had the video toaster, yes. uh, classic, classic piece Solid. of digital software, Solid. Uh, with the best wipes, the best stripper wipes you could ever uh, imagine. I mean, <laughs> oh God, they had like the the oil. Like it was all we were talking about this before we started. It was like they had this this woman dancing as a transition, which was obviously oh, a, a stripper. Brutal. There was a pole transition with like I mean they, they actually just shot the footage of. These these trans- so there was sheep falling, there was oil transitions, but it was literally physical things that they shot, and I guess they keyed and then they created transition for it. So it was it was revolutionary at the time. Like but I remember. Know, man, just as, as as a quick aside, Alex, we should do a short film trying to find the guys who designed and girls who designed those wipes, like. They're epic, and they don't exist anymore, like you said. But the, the I f- people don't have wipes of, of falling sheep anymore. You know what? I I, I got to tell you, I found the, I found them. I actually did research, and I found them. Um, they are available uh, because <laughs> I wanted I wanted to put them out. I like I'm like I want to just create the video toaster. Like who owns these things? And I found them. I think you can insert them somehow in. Uh, in, in somewhere, but anyway, this is a side note. Let's not get into a video toaster it's, episode. It's, it's a good digression for anybody in the in the nineties who was uh, who who was in the in the in the industry at all. Anyhow, I made this music video, and I was like, "This is really cool." And so the only thing I did in high school with video uh, was making. And I was like, "Hey, putting images to music, that's really awesome." And I remember I was in my IB history class, and we were doing this thing on Pompeii, and I, I took Pink Floyd's "Live at Pompeii" um, music track. But then I started editing a whole bunch of other um, – like I was essentially rebuilding the film that Pink Floyd did anyway, but I did it my own way. And um, and that was my project. And I was like, hmm, this is really cool. So for me, it was all music and film, music and video and images coming together. And I never really thought about it again, but except for the fact that I'm a creative guy, I'm a musician, and uh, that was a lot of fun playing with video. Fast forward to graduation, I go to arts at, at the university uh, in my town, and I just felt like it was an extension of high school, nothing, um, no disrespect to the university itself, just all my same friends, the same location, and I was just going to arts because I didn't know what else to do, and then a buddy of mine uh, at a Christmas party I was at, um, he was in Ontario, and I hadn't seen him in years, and I asked him what he was doing, he goes, I'm going to film school, and I said, that sounds way cooler than what I'm doing, <laughs> so it was literally out of boredom that I was like, that sounds way more cool. So I, I ended up applying to go to the same uh, film school. I got, I got accepted at Niagara College and in Niagara Falls, Ontario, and uh, went there for three years to study broadcast, uh, television, and film. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. 
and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. And now back to the show. And that's when we're shooting with uh, Super 16 and editing everything on the Steinbeck. And, uh, you know, do, like I loved becoming an editor with film, you know, mm-hmm. like it really was a uh, it, it was a gift to learn on film. You know, we're, Avid was starting to come onto the scene. Mm-hmm. But, you know, early, early days of Avid was 150 grand if you wanted to, to jump oh. into that. Business. And then so it was really, uh, it was really cool to learn the art of storytelling, even as a cinematographer, knowing full well how much that little real a roll of film costs. You know, you're not taking five, six, seven takes. You're you're doing five, six, seven rehearsals and then a take, and then when you make a cut, you better be sure it's the right cut because you're not you don't have the money to get it reprint. So um, I really think that learning in the film film school environment was really cool for me to to become an efficient uh, you know a cinematographer director and editor. Uh, in the earlier years, <clears throat> uh, quick uh, fast forward into graduating into college, I immediately joined the union and started in the IATSE and I, I started in the camera department. And uh, it is there that I uh, really got to understand the uh, the movie magic, uh, you know, behind the scenes of how movies are made and working on big crews, you know, 100, 200 people crews and doing uh, science fiction series and, uh, you know, uh, movies of the week. And I, I remember doing a Disney movie in my first or second year and just a lot, a lot of really uh, interesting projects. And um, I thought at that point my track was to become, you know, a director of photography. So, I, you know, the camera department was my was my angle. And, um, you know, I don't know if this is where we want to go into the into the crisis point, but I don't know about you, Alex, but um, if you're a creative person working in 
what's supposed to be a creative industry, but it is like walking on eggshells and you are, you're in an environment where the stress is so high, there's so much money on the table and, you know, poop rolls downhill, as they say, my kids just walked in. Yeah. Uh, it's a dollar every time I say the SH word. So, yeah, sure. uh, uh, and I just remember feeling after, you know, working, you know, working through the ranks in the camera department, never being happy going to work. You know, I'm like, this is supposed to be movie magic. Like, isn't this supposed to be like the dream, you know? And, um, I was like, people don't respect people here. Like you, you're respected oh. if you're up, but you're not respected if you're down. And, um, you know, I, I, I understood that concept of shame-based learning, you know, like if you screwed up, brought the wrong lens, or if you didn't guess what the next lens was that your first, uh, was calling out for, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, you, you, you got reprimanded publicly. And for me, I had the great blessing, Alex, of never being bullied in, in my life as a kid. I was, I was one of those kids that was friends with everybody, you know, mm -hmm. and somehow I got saved from being picked on. Maybe I was picked on, but I probably had thick enough skin that I didn't recognize it. I don't know. So being, having the sense of being bullied as an adult after spending three years doing uh, film school, telling all your friends and family that you're going to be working in the film industry, and then a couple of years into it, realizing that you don't want to do it anymore. And uh, feeling that awful feeling of, am I going to quit this thing? My whole identity right now is is tied up in this thing, right? right? And But I had that soul issue of I'm a creative person and I, I wake up and go to set and I feel – I feel like the creativity is being beaten out of me. And, uh, you know, some people listening to this might, might think, oh, well, Greg, you know, toughen up. That's the way it is. And you're right. It is the way it is. But that's not the way I am, uh, nor is it the way I want to invest my precious uh, life, you know, that, you know, going to any job where your, your soul gets sucked out of you. What's the point, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how I got into the film industry. And I'll... <laughs> I'll pause there for a second because you, you might have uh, another direction you want to go into. But the uh, how right after I quit, like literally the, the day I said I'm done, it was the last day on a uh, something like a seven month series. Um, oh, I, I lived in a little motorhome behind the set. It was pretty cool. That part was neat. Um, but I uh, I ended up going on this adventure that was completely life changing, um, which I'll pause right now as every great storyteller will just to leave you, leave you hanging. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I just want to answer your question first about how I got into the industry. I fell in love with film at film school, which is kind of a neat props to film school. Cause I wasn't a <laughs> film guy before that. <laughs> so, I, so, I mean, look, I, you and I are of similar vintage. So you and vintage. I, you know, it's vintage as we like to say, uh, a nice way of saying we're both old. Um, so, uh, but, uh, you know, we came up around the same time, uh, maybe in different parts of the country, maybe in different industries uh, around the time that you were uh, in Canada doing what you were doing. I was down in Florida uh, going through that process as well. And my first my first uh, meeting with that kind of environment was my first internship at a, a very predominant uh, uh, commercial production house. Uh, and there were a couple of owners. Uh, one of them was the sweetest man in the world, and the other one was uh, bipolar. He was bipolar in the days that he did not take his medicine. He was a monster. Yeah. And the day he took his medicine, he was the nicest human being on the planet. So it was, you know, and that was the first time that I would get publicly yelled at for 
whatever. I I, I, yeah. I I did something wrong. I was, and this is all office stuff. So in the office, I would be yelled, and everybody in the office kind of felt that energy, like, oh, oh, he's here, kind mm. of energy. And I was twenty, whatever. I was like twenty one, twenty two. I was a young kid, and him yelling at me. But then, like the next day, he'd show up and ch- and would just freak you out because he would just like, "Hey, Alex, how you doing?" And I'm like, "What the hell, man!" Like it's mind trip. What a mind trip. So he goes, "Hey, man, you know, I want to watch this movie. I want to show you this movie." So like one day he would be like a mentor, and the next day he would literally just come in like a ra- like a rampaging bull. So that was the first experience of that, and then that kind of. That kind of experience happened again and again on sets. Um, I did a lot of internships on uh, on Universal's back lot in Orlando when I was in film school. I worked on a lot of TV shows there and and got hired as a PA and all that stuff. And I would see the same thing. I was in, on a Fox show, and 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 uh, the producer would show up, and everyone would be really quiet, and it all like, how is he feeling today? Is he is he going to destroy somebody? And you would, and I would see him. He never took it out on me because I was just so low on the totem pole that it didn't even matter, but. He uh he would destroy like you know writers right there or other producers or other staff, uh, and you want to talk about abuse. One day he's like, hey, uh, uh, the um, the producer Boris, his name was Boris, uh, which of course his name was Boris. Uh, the Boris <laughs> Boris wants you to do a special run for him. I'm like, oh great, oh, this is okay. this is awesome. I'm gonna do a special run. So yeah, I guess meet him at his house. I'm like, great. So I, I drive out to the house with a, a couple other PAs and, you know, we're in the van and he, we basically moved his house for him for free. So we what? basically, we were his movers for the day. Yeah. We like, he was well, moving. Far more scandalous. I, I don't know. I didn't know where you were going there, but, uh, yeah, it could have, yeah, no, it could have gone real. Like, yeah, it could have been, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, I could have been Weinstein, but I wasn't. Um, so no, but it was, it was, but it, but still that's a form of abuse because what do you say? Do you say no to that? Cause if you say no to that, then you risk your position in, in the pro in the production. And if you get fired from that production, your chances of moving up the scales is hard. So they understand that they have power that they can kind of twist and hey. use and abuse, especially of the young, especially of the of people who are just starting out, you just eat it because you have no choice because the opportunities of our business are so minuscule sometimes, especially at, the, at that era. There was yeah. no like, hey, grab your own iPhone and make your own movie. Like that, that no. didn't, that was a tough sell um, to do that. Like it, was, it still cost obscene amounts of money, you know, tens of thousands even on the lower end you know, clerk still cost 23 grand, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, you know, um, slackers still cost money. You know, these, these movies still, still do cost money. And I was in no position to do anything like that. So it, it, those are the kind of first stories that I, I, first times I felt that kind of thing. And you're absolutely right with, I love that term shame-based, uh, learning because that's what it is on set. And I've been a director for years and I've been on set for years and I see it. It's never been, when I'm on a set and I'm a director, I never allow abuse. Uh, but that ribbing, which sometimes can be, especially in the camera and the grip department. Oh, Jesus. The camera and the grip department, they're brutal. They're just brutal. But a lot of times they won't do it publicly. They'll do it within their own own, own hazing. 
insidious, right? Like yeah, it's, it's it's a hazing yeah. process. And some of that is kind of ribbing and it's kind of fun. And you're like, you know, you got you to toughen up. It's the business. And that's fine. And some of that stuff, you know, and we it's a fun ex- environment as long as the person doesn't feel like they're being abused. But even then, you've got you got to balance that. You got to walk that line, you know. Yeah, but think about that in any other industry. So no. you, you have a really good point. Is uh, and this is why it was so hard for me to quit because I was like, it it, it wasn't easy to get into the union. It wasn't easy to go through film school. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. And now back to the show. And once you get in, you got to wait for your next turn to get called back. And uh, so you're right. There is a uh, uh, there's a scarcity approach to the to the film industry um, that makes us all want to do the right thing and say the right things and you know make the right people happy. Uh, but unfortunately, if you've got the wrong people in positions of power, uh, they, the abuse is just so easy, right, and convenient. Oh. Um, and that's but like any other industry. Oh, hey, it happens in every other industry, of course. Uh, but specifically in the film industry, because it's so scarce and it's so special, like the, the film industry is so, so magical from the outside, right? 
It's just you know? a mar- it's just a marketing and branding tool. Like I always say, Hollywood's great at the sizzle, but it sucks at the steak. You know, they, they I mean, and I always use the analogy of the Oscars. You know, w- when you see Oscar night, I don't know if you've been down to Hollywood Boulevard, but oh yeah, if, yeah. If you go Oscar night, man, Oscar night in a normal Oscar night situation, red carpets. That Hollywood Boulevard looks like a magical place. You leave the next week. I mean, you should. You can't walk if you walk a block or two away from the the Dolby Theater. You know, the darker it gets, the more chances you're going to get stabbed or hit with a needle. Like it's a horrible, horrible place. It's funny. I was I was in uh, Hollywood just before the pandemic hit. So uh, I think it was November of 2019. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were putting a film festival on at uh, Wanderlust, uh, yeah. that really cool yoga yoga spot. And it was an impact film festival, so I brought in, you know, films from Patagonia and uh, and uh, from uh, you know a bunch of different like B Corp companies that are doing like corporate but like documentaries that are really uh, you, know, you know making making the world change and uh, um, Soul Pancake plays like that. It was a really cool event. But I remember one of the nights I was there, it was like nine o'clock at night, and everything was shut on on Boulevard. There's no like there's one pizza place we found. I was like, I thought this place was, th- I thought it was like the strip in Vegas. No, no, no. <laughs> it's horrible. It's, oh, look, I'll tell you my first experience going to Hollywood Boulevard. And this is what happens when anyone comes to LA who's visiting people who live in LA. So I was visiting someone who lived in LA. And I first thing my wife and I said, like, we got to go to Hollywood Boulevard. And, and you see the face just go, like, uh, oh, okay, fine. It's not what you think it is. I'm like, no, no, I got to go to Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard. I want to put, I want to see where the hands are in the prints in the Chinese theater. La, la, la. So we drive there, and this is before Madame Tussauds. That whole complex was just a parking lot when, right. I, when I got there. So we park right next to the Chinese theater. We get out, and the moment we get out, some woman, random woman walking by, she goes, hey, and she just flashes us. And she's like, woohoo! Hollywood. And then and then my buddy turns to me and goes, Welcome to Hollywood. I was like, holy cow. And like, and then I just walked around. I'm like, this is horrible. Like, this is nasty. This is, I don't want to be here. Anytime I've ever had to go down to Hollywood Boulevard, it always, I'm like, ugh. Like if I have to go to the Chinese theater for a film festival or something, I'm like, oh God, I don't want to go down there. Oh, it's horrible. But that is the sizzle and the stick. That's what Hollywood is so brilliant at. They are the best I mean, propaganda. They're the yeah. best propaganda machine in history because Hollywood and movie stars and our culture here in America in general has been exported to the entire world. And the entire world buys it. But the, exactly. but at the end of the day, it's not real. Life is not like friends. You know, it, it's just not. <laughs> It's, it's not, it wasn't when they were making it, they couldn't afford that damn apartment in New York in a real life. Like how the hell? So we're going on a tangent, but that is the sizzle and the steak. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So the, um, that's, uh, I I think it's like a a little bit of a dream crusher too, in a way when, uh, when young people get into the industry and, uh, and, and they're present and you know what? It's, this is, doesn't happen to everybody, you know, it just happened to me, you know, other people thrive in that and they learn really great in that and all that. Um, I, I do remember feeling great responsibility as a camera trainee and as a second camera assistant holding that mega film that we, that we shot probably for the last hour and a half with who knows what the payroll was for the actors that are on that one thing of film. And here's me, the lowest paid guy on set going into the dark room or into the dark bag why would they shoot this? Changing it. And if one ounce of light gets into that, 
like it, it, it was incredible. So I understand the pressure. I understand why it's so critical to be militant and precise. But there's ways of doing that uh, that help people be inspired and excited. And, um, you know, fast forward to where we are now. Um, that's the film culture I've been trying to to build surrounding my company. Um, but, uh, you know, going going back just to finish off my uh, my journey, I ended up um, a couple days after I quit the industry. Uh, I went to see one of my favorite bands play. Uh, in, a, in a neighboring town. Um, and this, this lady came up to me and uh, named Charlene. I never met her before, but she had a flask of uh, Jägermeister. She's like, you want some Jäger? And I was like, yes, I do. So uh, I had a couple of swigs and uh, she told me that her, her, her old man, uh, her boyfriend was this Dutch captain who lived on a sailboat in the Caribbean and he runs cargo like all over the place. And I was like, I used to sail when I was a kid. I'd love to do that. And, uh, Literally, this was before 9-11, so it was very easy to get a passport. I didn't have a passport yet. Um, I, just a number of days later, I had my passport, and I was on an airplane. had no idea what I was getting myself into. And uh, like I said I, I, earlier, we're like, uh, this, you know, what, what's a scandalous thing we're about to jump into? I was like, am I going to be running drugs on this sailboat? Is it going to be guns? Is it What, what are we doing here? Because nobody told me. They're just like, here's your plane ticket. Uh, he needs crew. So I land and I end up living on a sailboat, on a massive 110-foot sailboat. And there was just Captain, me, and this other guy named Tyrus from St. Lucia. And we delivered cargo. We had a little crane. It could be pickup trucks. It could be refrigerators, fish, whatever. And we'd sail into little markets. I say markets like like island markets where the big cargo ships wouldn't be able to get too efficiently. So we would get – we'd fill up the supplies for shops, grocery stores, whatever, um, very quickly and efficiently, all by the power of the wind. So like we'd sail like 15 pickup trucks to islands and stuff. And the film industry and the sail, it comes from the sailing world, right? Uh, if you're a sailor, there's a good chance you're going to be a good rigger and uh, a good grip. Oh, a good grip. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. All, all that sort of thing. So it felt very natural. And uh, I was smart enough to use a few dollars before I went on that trip to buy my first camera, which is the Canon GL1. Um, and I just documented that whole experience down there. And um uh, my time in the Caribbean continued. I, uh, after the sailing adventure that went on for a very long time, I jumped on a cruise ship, uh, as a theater guy. Uh, and quickly they found out that I was a film guy and I opened up some of their broadcast departments on, on some of the ships and they had Avid. So like the $150,000 version sure. of Avid where I'm like, Ooh, this is nice. So I would come home in the summer and I would make, uh, music documentaries, do, you know, different music festivals and whatnot. And I come back in the winter and do my job, but also edit all my films on the Avids on the cruise ships. And on, I did that for time years. off. Yeah, for time off. Isn't it funny though? Isn't it funny what you're saying? It's because I've I've said this so many times. When you get bit by the bug, you can't. It's it's a, it's it's an infection. You can't get rid of it. It's it's done. It's in your bloodstream. And I thought it was done, but I wasn't. You're you right. Totally you can't, it comes back up wherever you are in life. You're like, I'm on a cruise ship. I should maybe bring a camera. Like that's a, that's a sickness. It's not like I'm just gonna it's leave. Illness. It is an illness because like, you know, when you like leave McDonald's from a job, like I quit McDonald's, I will never work in the fast food industry again. You don't go to another job and go, you know what? We need burgers. Like it's not, <laughs> you bring with you, but the a thing it's once you're in, it's in you and you can't get rid of it. And it could go dormant for years, by the way, a decade yeah. or two could go by. It'll always live underneath. And I got, I got 60 year old, seven year olds seriously come to me like, you know what? I just retired. I, I want to be a filmmaker now again. And, and I got the money. I'm going to go make my first movie. And that's, it's just, it's an illness. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
That's the name of your next book, uh, Alex. The illness. The il- the illness is. <laughs> Uh, the illness. No, it's the the beautiful illness, but it's not really. It yeah. depends on the illness. It could be beautiful. It could be horrible. It, it ah, all depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's fa- but that's fascinating. That that's the kind of route you went to. Like my route was more post. I I I, I found my life in post because one, I didn't have to deal with anybody generally. This one person, maybe a producer. The abuse wasn't as much inside of a room one on one because there's a, a bravery that needs to be there from the person in power to yell at the person who has control of your entire, there's nobody else around. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so there wasn't as much abuse. I don't think I was ever really yelled at in post. Um, I, I can't remember if I did, I've forgotten it over the years, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is on, on set because the egos are on set and you've got to show off. And sometimes it's and there's politics involved and all that kind of stuff. Um, I did have a, a fist fight start in my, um, in my post suite, not me. I was be, between a client and uh, and the agency who got fired. The agency got f- the agency got fired mid edit. <laughs> what? And there's a fist fight. It's okay, Miami. It's Miami. It's Miami. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over forty and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain. You don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show magic right there it's my it's it's miami bro it's it's miami it happens um but you uh, you know you when you you reached out to me the first time you sent me this amazing article um about your america american ninja or american american michael dudikoff yes american ninja the the american ninja the american ninja michael dudikoff on sets behavior can you please (laughs) please please throw it out into the world I'd love to tell the story because it's it, it 
it really wasn't a hurtful experience, but it embodies everything we're talking about here. Okay. okay? So it was my first film. So my buddy, Andrew Tibby and I, uh, he was my buddy, by the way, that got me into film school, but the both of us, we got on our very first, uh, feature film together and Sydney Fury was the director and Sydney Fury did Iron Eagle and Superman four and a bunch of other Sup interesting oh, Superman four. <laughs> okay. So look him up though. Sydney Fury is one of those guys sure. that, that directed a whole bunch of awesome films that were, that were typically with numbers beside them. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Um, but a really well-respected director. He was a lovely man. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm assuming he's still around, uh, but he was, he was older at the time. Uh, so this would have been late nineties. And, um, I went with Tidby, my buddy, and we, uh, we said, can we, we're, we're in film school right now, second year. Can we, can we, and it was the summertime. Can we get a gig? And they said, well, we don't have any budget, but you're welcome to come be a trainee, volunteer trainee. And we're like, let's do it. You know, and it was it was a very quick shoot too. It was something like three weeks or something, and it was insane, man. Like they had like four cameras shooting at the same time because it was such a quick turnaround. So it was it was nutty, and um, so we we started to learn uh, a little bit of the ropes, and it's totally different. Film school teaches you one thing; the real world thing is completely different, and uh, hence where I learned immediately about the shame based learning thing. And we got bullied really bad. I, I, you know, and that's, it was just a weird experience to, uh, to go through. Uh, but Michael Dudikoff, the American Ninja, I remember the scene, Marley Matlin, you know, Marley Matlin, of course, the Oscar winning actress from, uh, children of a lesser God, lesser the, God uh, which were shot in my city, St. John, New Brunswick. Yeah. 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 yeah I heard, I, I've always heard she's a very sweet, uh, she's she's lovely. Sweet. I heard she's Absolutely. lovely. So, interestingly, uh, Marley Matlin was back. We were shooting that feature here in St. John on the East coast of Canada. And this, that would have been her second film here. Cause she did uh, children of a lesser God back in the eighties here. Um, so there was a scene and Michael Dudikoff's character was to come into the room. She was laying in bed. Um, and he was coming in with a bunch of papers. It uh, was just setting up the scene, talking to his wife. And, uh, so Michael comes in, we do, well, he doesn't come in, we do the slates because we had multiple cameras in this scene, there's two cameras going on. So my buddy Andrew had one slate, I had the other. So camera A, slate, camera B, slate. And then we would tuck around the door and then Dudikoff would come running through and the scene would start. Right. So he came running through all right and he tripped over Andrew's leg. <laughs> all the papers go everywhere. And uh, of course the scene gets, okay, cut, cut, cut. And Michael Dudikoff gets up in a rage and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, just, it's so bizarre and fun. And he pulls his, his, his leg back and wallops Tidby right in the stomach, kicks him. And the, the, the comedy of all of this is uh, the American ninja himself uses his American ninja leg to kick Tidby in the gut. And, you know, I talked to him, to my buddy Tibby just the other day about the story and we laugh so much because it's like, who else can say that they got kicked by the American ninja, you know? Um, but the, the, what I re recognized on that shoot that was so awful in so many different ways that nobody said anything, nobody, no. a, a thing. And it was the most inappropriate behavior. It was, it was a little, a little rage that the guy had. And, uh, um, he didn't hurt Tidby or anything, you know, but it was just like symbolically, I was like, Oh, this is, we're in the union. Isn't there some protection union or something? So <clears throat> here's, here's an interesting thing just to tie that story up. Um, Sydney Fury at the rap party came up to me and said, boys, you know, great work. Um, 
Sorry, I, I saw a lot of a lot of people picking on you guys. Sorry, sorry about that. But I really appreciate all the effort you uh, you put in to help me with my vision of my film. And then he found out that we were volunteers. And then as soon as he found out we didn't get paid, he stopped the party. There was a band playing and everything. Stopped the party, got up on the microphone and was so pissed off. And he was like, and he did this big speech to the whole thing, the whole thing and said, I just found out that those two guys that you guys have been so disrespectful to throughout this whole film were not getting paid. They were volunteering on my film to help me to help make this a, a, a better film. And then he he pulled out a hundred dollar bill and put it in his hat. And he goes, everybody's putting money in here. So the, the, the hat went around the room. Everybody put money in it. I bought it. I bought my first motorbike with that money. And um, <clears throat> and here's the interesting thing that he said. Really and awesome. remember, this feature was being shot here in my part of the country. So people that I would come to get to know, this is our first, my first film, so this is all new people. He said, you, all of you have to watch out. Um, eventually, all of you will be working for these two guys. So be careful with who, who you uh, who you push around and bully. Now, interestingly, the the bullies on that set were the Toronto crew, not the local crew. The local crew were great, um, but that that uh, prophecy came true because we did become producers, both of us in our own companies, and hired a lot of these guys. And uh, but I really liked what Sidney Fury said there: is <clears throat> be careful who you disrespect. It, it just on the on the basis of it's probably going to bite you in the butt down the road, right? Oh. And uh, I thought it was a really cool of him to do that. Um, also, I rolled my eyes a bit. I was like, funny that if we were getting paid, it was okay to get kicked by the American Ninja. But uh, <laughs> I mean, to be to be fair, I mean, many people would have been, would have paid to get kicked by the American Ninja. So that, well, I mean, that... in a way, I suppose we did. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, we're laughing, we're joking about it, but it, that that so, is is so un that is so unacceptable. Um, I've never seen uh, physical violence from a, an actor to a an intern or volunteer ever in my life, let alone to anybody else on set. Physical, I've never heard much, many physical fights other than maybe a, a, amongst the higher-ups. Like when the gods are fighting, that's yeah. one thing. But the gods generally don't fight with the uh, with the mortals, uh, if yeah. you if you will, and that whole, and even as I'm saying that, it's ridiculous. They're, they're human beings just because they're at a higher level in the business doesn't give them more or less rights to hurt you or to abuse you, it's not right. Like we started off the the conversation, Scott Rudin, who is legendary for being a complete ass and 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 literally torturing people, throwing things at people, physically attacking people. I mean, Harvey, uh, Mr. Weinstein, and he doesn't deserve to meet Mr. Weinstein. Harvey, the ass, um, he was the one of the biggest bullies in Hollywood in a town full of bullies. Yeah. Um, and and we're just talking about this kind of abuse. I mean, obviously the whole Me Too movement is. Oh my gosh, man! I mean, that's a whole other that, level of abuse. That you and I were guys in the you know like like the oh fact my that, god the fact that we felt it like if you're a, a minority or if you're oh. of, of a different uh, you know sexual orientation um, or, or a female like the, the everything stacked against you. Oh, uh, on, on that old school way of doing films, and think about where you know Hollywood is the is the birthplace of of this culture. In those early days, we weren't um, focusing on businesses uh, that are focused on jet, you know justice, equity, diversity, diversity and inclusion. <laughs> we weren't trying to create equ equitable workplaces and safe uh, places. It was run by men uh, that wanted to make a lot of money, uh, and that's uh, that culture. Continue. It's very hard to break those patterns, you know. And uh, no, qu no uh, question. 
No, no question at all. And I was I was lucky in the sense because I, I came up in Miami where uh, I, I'm a man of color. I'm I'm a Latino man. So it was there was like that's the crew. So there was Latino people there. That's in Miami when big like bad boys would show up or Miami Vice. Like there was, you know, there was Latinos everywhere. But anytime I I, I rarely ever saw a female on set, unless they were in a certain department, whether it be costume or makeup or something like that. Occasionally, once in a blue moon, I would see a female grip. And that always blew my mind. I've had female grips work on my set and it blew my mind because at the time I'm like, man, she's gotta be putting up with some some stuff because I mean, if you're in the grip department, that's the arguably, and I've been in the grip department, that's arguably the roughest place to it's be the carnival, man. It, it is, is the, the carnies. It is the carnies. They eat raw meat. I mean, it is. I mean, it is. They, they, and I love them. I, by the way, I love my grips. We, we, we love our grips. Love, love my grips. And I'll be the first to call them out in front to their face. I'm just like, guys, you know, you guys are crazy. Um, the only, the only group that's crazier than the grips is the stunt team. Like the stunt oh. team guys, the stunt guys, and and gals, the stunt guys and gals. Um, by the way, argue really interesting. Female stunt women are more respected and more. I've they they're much more respected than any other area on the set for, for females. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. Because I remember having working with a stunt team and the female... Man, they the females were as respected, if not more so, for doing the stunts. And because I guess it's, I, don't, I don't know why, but it was. Um, but the stunt people, I've never met a stunt person who wasn't twisted and weird and whacked out in their head somewhere in the best, most beautiful way possible. Because this is yeah, yeah, you got to it, it, It's just like being an entrepreneur. You have to be. You have to be something wired. To you got to be wired differently. Because this is yeah. this is this is a conversation as a director to a stunt person and or stunt coordinator. Uh, I'll go. Hey, okay. I'll need you to jump off uh, that ten foot uh, beam. They're like, great. Can I do the forty foot beam instead? Every time. Every time. I need you to do one flip. 
can I do two flips and crash into the ball? Like they always are amping it up to a play. And I'm like, they're bringing more to the, more to the screen. They want to, <laughs> but that's that the beauty of the stuff of the stunt community. They always want to, just and then sometimes us as directors and producers are like, nah, dude, you're not jumping off the 50 story building. I, I know you want to. We don't have the budget. Like, no, no, no. I was gonna, and this is, and then they'll always explain, no, no. I got a boy who's got the rig and the, and the thing, and we could do that, and we could do that. I just want it for my reel, and I'm like, okay, dude, just it's wonderful. It's it's absolutely wonderful. I love I love I love my grips. I love my stunt teams. Um, but the, there's like, but I have to ask you though. Okay, so look, a lot of a lot of people listening now. A lot of people are young filmmakers coming up. Some of them are in film school. Some of them are teenagers um, thinking about coming into the business. I put myself back into that mindset of where I was in that production company uh, when I was coming up. What do you do? Because if you call it out or if you report it or something, and this is the reality of what we do. If you are called out as someone who just calls it out or reports it or creates problems, chances are that other production companies, other people in that area might hear about them like, oh, we don't want that person because they're a problem. And that's happened. I've seen that happen. It's not right, but it, I've seen it happen. So what yeah. are the options in your opinion for, a you know, what do you do? Because you are in such a powerless situation because yeah. you want something that they want. So unless you go off and do it yourself like you did. I just feel like <clears throat> we're living in a time right now. Yeah. Right now. And Black Lives Matter, George, George Floyd, um, yeah, Me Too movement, mm -hmm. all of this stuff, uh, even going back to Occupy Wall Street. Like, yeah. like we're living in an era, Arab uh, Spring, like all yeah. of this happening right in the last decade. And I feel that COVID has been this amazing line in history of a lot of people saying it's now or never to make the changes we need to make. And I got to tell you, like I'm, I'm involved with a lot of those changes, like really looking at uh, how this white uh, CEO of a very white company uh, in a very white town is working at um, anti-black racism. Like, um, okay, well, how does that relate to uh, your market? Well, we got to figure it out. You know, like 10 years ago, we wouldn't be talking like that, but we are now. I say we, the business community, um, which is really exciting. I feel like in markets, like in, in our market, Atlantic Canada, um, where the union isn't that strong, mm -hmm. um, it's strong in Nova Scotia, but certainly not here. Um, the union wants to grow, right? IATSE wants to grow. And so there's a little bit of influence in the non-centralized markets to say, hey, happy to join the union, but what, what, what's the true uh, repercussions of, uh, of calling shit out, you know? Um, like, I think there's an opportunity right now to be bold. And if the union's doing what the union's supposed to do, supposed to you're, waiting members. Time. you're waiting for your, 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 you're up next. So um, theoretically, you shouldn't be losing your opportunity because you are, you know, following protocol. Because as we know, there's always a union rep on set. The problem is, what if that union rep is the bully? Very possible, right? So anyway, I, I, my my sign of hope is as you join, if you're joining the union, I think it's really your opportunity to become a leader yourself within it, and uh, and letting other crew members understand your perspective of wanting to be treated fairly and with respect. That's it, and you'll work your ass off to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so, so that's one thing. 
another thing, which is my approach, and this only works for for people who've got the uh, you know the ability to start their own businesses and make their own thing. But um, I feel like what I did was I created a, a new company called Hemmings House, and we uh, we do TV shows, documentaries, and a lot of commercial brand brand film work too. And um, I've created uh, a set culture, a filmmaking culture that's uh, that you can thrive in and be, be safe. And we've had a few uh, mishaps, and we dealt with it appropriately. And um, we've we've changed the culture of of this 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 world here. So if you're starting out, okay, and you think the only way to get in is by joining the union, getting on the big feature sets, why not consider finding another company that's small like ours, right? Really learning your trade really well in a good culture, small company. And sure, it's not you're not working with the big actors and the big producers and all this sort of thing, but you're 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 cutting your teeth in the process and you're understanding how um, people should be treated. Um, now it takes time to do that, of course, but um, uh, consider going into smaller areas to really get your first your your first because uh, if you think that that bullshit culture is the way it should be because you, your first experience in is like, oh, this must be the way it is. Okay. And if you accept that, you will also probably adopt it unless you're a rebel, uh, you know, right. and even if you're a really good person, respectful of yourself, you're going to adopt it and you're not going to call it out when your colleagues do it to other people because right. it's, but it's the status quo, but why we're creative people. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be living with the status quo. We need to be pushing it. And you know what? It's sad to say <laughs> for some people that old way of, of doing um, it, it is becoming uh, archaic and unrelevant. So give Absolutely. the industry 10 more years. Those old, you know, I'm going to generalize here. The, the, the old guys that are whipping C stands and, and, uh, and abusing other people in, in the culture. If you are like that now, you just wait until the to the younger producers are, are growing up that are have been, you know, brought up in a world where we are discussing ways to be respectful on set and in business, you're not going to get hired. You know, it's just, and then once the union bosses become the ones who are, uh, have a little bit more of a conscience and understand uh, how sets need to be. And, you know, I think the union, I, th I think about IATSE because I was a union I was in, um, it has the opportunity to actually lead the change. I don't know how long that would take. It's a big beast, right? But right. the union could be the, the solution if if enough uh, people had the uh, the nerve to to chip away at it, you know. So anyway, those are a couple of my i my ideas. And by the way, not all film sets and, and union experiences are are awful. Like there's no absolutely um, joyful, not. respectful sets. I just personally was on a lot of B uh, B films. A lot of <laughs> lower budget. No, the lower the budget. A lot of times, the yeah. lower the budget, the less professionalism there is, and the and the less and, and the less yeah. experience there is, and there's a lot more ego involved, and a lot yeah. more insecurity involved, and all of that stuff. The climbers, you got the climbers who will uh, climb at any right. Yeah, so, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have to be aware of that, and um, that's I, I guess that's my advice. And the other thing is to not take it personally, you know, uh, but do something personal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree you with you. You don't suck as a person because your uh, your your uh, key grip told you your piece of junk. You know, uh, that's yeah. Yeah, no, there, and I think that with with what's going on with Scott Rudin, what happened with Harvey Weinstein, if these kind of you know juggernauts in our industry can be taken out, 
there's hope for the rest for the rest of the people to go wait a minute there is opportunity here to get for change there is opportunity um that people are going to take me seriously if something happens because i mean look I mean, you're talking about oscar winning massive guys worth billions like who've generated billions of dollars for the industry and all of a sudden just you're gone like scott rudin is gone brett ratner gone brian singer gone kevin spacey gone they're, they're, they're gone and there was a, you know, I remember, I remember when I was running, um, when I wrote my my first book, Shooting for the Mob, which is my experience of the ultimate abuse, which is a an ultimate of physical, not sexual, but physical abuse uh, and psychological abuse. I think, in my world at least, uh, of a mobster um, threatening me on a daily basis while I'm chasing my dream and meeting all these big, high-profile directors and and producers and actors and stuff like that. Going through that journey, I I heard about. The the stories uh, all, when Me Too happened. This was really funny. Uh, when Me Too happened, my buddies would call me up in the industry, like, "Who do you think is gonna happen? Who do you think is gonna happen to next?" We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. And I go, oh, uh, it's going to be Brett Ratner. It's going to be Brian Singer. It's going to be Kevin Spacey. And they're like, how do you know? I'm like, oh, in 2001, I'll tell you the stories. So when I was running around in 2001, I remember we were going to meet with Kevin Spacey's people. And and Kevin Spacey and this is like I, w- I literally I was meeting all the big stars in town at twenty at twenty six working with this mobster and making this movie about his life. So I, it's, it's great. By the way, anyone who hasn't read that story, please. Just, I will, man. Wow. Uh, it's 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 a fascinating and listen to the audiobook. It's even better because it's me doing voices and it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I I go the agent at the time agent or manager or representative of some sort. They go listen when you meet Kevin understand that um, he just likes to grab guys' balls when they first meet him as a handshake. What? And I was like, I was 26. I'd already been in the business a while. I'd been directing a yeah, bit already. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to put up with that. And I, and I was just like, I, I, I was like, is this, is this real? And it's not like Kevin was in the other room. This is like we were setting up the meeting. 
And my mobster guys, if that guy grabs my balls, I'm going to kill him. And that was the end of the meeting. And that was the end of the potential of working with Kevin Spacey. But then we heard stories about Brian Singer. Um, I've heard many stories about Brett Ratner. He's legendary in, the, in that sense. So um, I, I saw all of this coming. And I and then I'd call it like five days later. I'm like, they got Kevin Spacey. I'm like, how'd you know? I'm like, dude, dude, it's just. And the funny thing is that everybody in the business knows. Everyone knew that Harvey Weinstein was a bully. Many yes. people in the business knew that he was doing what he was doing. A lot of people knew what um, what Scott Rudin is and who he was and how he, he he did business. And there's a lot of other producers and directors out there who are 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 shaking in their boots because like, oh man, uh, I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm screwed. I mean, do you know who Joe Picca is, right? Yep. Everybody, even me, the puny PA in Miami heard about Pitka stories. Joe Pitka was one of the most successful, and I'm not sure if he's still doing it or not, but was one of the most successful commercial directors in history. He directed Space Jam, the movie, um, because uh, he did all Michael Jordan things. He was the Nike stuff. He was a huge director. But his stories were legendary of the abuse that he would put his cast, the agency. Um, he would break people's arms playing basketball because he was a really big, like six foot four, you know, imposing figure. And I would hear, you would hear, and that's like the, that was like the boogeyman on some of these commercial sets. Like Joe Pitka's going to get you. Like, it was like, you work with Joe Pitka and like the grip were like, yeah, I work with Joe Pitka. He had me running. He had me running in the desert. I almost died of thirst. I'm like, Jesus Christ, how did this man do that? But that was the business. That was the way things were done. So consider a consider a world um, in a world where water is wet and ice is cold. <laughs> I'm not speaking to try to sound like I'm, I'm any more woke than anybody else, but consider a world where movie sets are more so run by women and people of color. Let's just consider that for a second. And trust me, there's lots of uh, bullies in those two communities as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is. I'm not. I'm not pretending there isn't. Um, but breaking that paradigm, that 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 power shift. Um, in in typical cases, um, women run projects differently, you know, oh, ab- and, uh, absolutely. And, and like you think about the Oscars now finally starting to to give the nods to the, uh, you know, at, at least they're coming to the table. Right. And uh, are we going to see that every year more and more and more women and uh, people of color starting to rock the scene? And what's going to happen to all these 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 Luddites, if you will, like. They're, if, if, if they're all driven by ego, it's going to crush them to know they're not going to be relevant anymore. We think about that whole cancel culture thing. But it, it probably sucks to be Kevin Spacey to be canceled. You are no longer relevant in our pop culture. Thank you. You're done. Goodbye. You're, you're, you're done. done. You're so done. I, I just I'm, – I'm excited to see more diversity in our space, um, You know, coming from a very, very white guy right here. Um, but it, it excites me to know how the seismic shift that we will be able to see – in all forms of this industry, as uh, you know, as the old way starts to be hospiced out. <laughs> yeah, and and the funny thing is, thinking back on my commercial sets, I almost exclusively used women producers, and it was weird. I, I didn't even think about that, but I've always been just drawn to women producers. I just like the way that they. Not that there's, I've had men producers as well, obviously, but I I did a majority of my commercial work where I always worked with the same women producers because they ran sets differently. It was a different energy about them, and I just I just identified with that kind of energy a lot more uh, sometimes. And again, I've had wonderful experiences with, you know, white 
white men producers and, and African-American producers and Latino producers. But, but, but it, it, you're bringing people to the table. That's the thing. It's not about canceling white white male talent. It's about, No, of course not. It's like, let's, let's, ha- let's have it uh, much more rounded. At my company, we've got, um, uh, most of our producers are, are, are women. Um, I'm going through uh, some diversity training right now as we speak uh, with a really cool company out of California called Hella. Mm-hmm. uh impact and uh <clears throat> it's they're going through this uh, jedi training which sounds so cool as i see yoda behind you of jedi course. stands for justice equity diversity and inclusion in the in the context of of leading business you know and we, we talked about this at the beginning and um it's just really cool to uh you know to be able to check our our uh, you know check my white privilege if you will uh on the back uh, on the back burner for a second and realize that we've been successful as a result of incredibly unjust, uh, unjust systems, including racist systems. And uh, I'm learning all this stuff, you know, and which means I'm really, really excited to now that we do have uh, over gender parity, like at my company, there's more women than men. Um, but most of the crew is guys. And I'm really excited to start uh, getting more uh, women into the training system in the crew side and the camera departments, grips, etc. Um, and also people of color uh, as we as we as we diversify and and really hack the system and, and see and prove that we can actually build a great storytelling company uh, that's broken the mold of what you and I have been complaining about for the last hour. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I've you know anytime I have a chance to have a female director on um, uh, to to talk about their process and what they've gone through, I had a wonderful um, author and female director named Naomi uh, Jones McDougal Jones who wrote a book all about women in Hollywood. Wrote the book about how they are treated, the numbers, the stats. Who's it was fascinating conversation. But, you know, and again, everyone listening, it's not about cancel culture. It's not about, you know, just throwing people away. It's about trying to open open up the 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 inclusion of everybody's ideas. You know, the the white male or the male story perspective is not the only one. Uh, And and bringing all of those kind of people to the table, it just makes it's, it's like only cooking with pepper and salt and that's all you cook with there's so many other spices cayenne and there's, there's so many other spices like. that you could throw in <laughs> that make it a lot more flavorful and a lot a lot better in so many ways um but you know we started this conversation as uh what can we do to change this abuse culture that is ingrained in our in our business has been for decades. I think it started that way. I mean, I'm sure it was that way um, from the days of Chaplin. You know, when anytime you have people in power, there's always abuse. Always, 100%. any place, any place, any industry, any any society. If you have somebody in power and someone that's not in power, there is always abuse. Unfortunately, that is part of the human condition. That is part of it. Is but now we're hopefully changing that at least within our sets and. Hopefully, you guys listening now, especially if you're young and coming up, understand that there are options, and and you have opportunities. Uh, and I think you would agree they have uh, kids coming up today have opportunities that you and I did not have, like being able to buy your own gear, uh, being able to start your own production company at 21 and just start shooting music videos or shooting docs or just going out there and making content or building up online presence. Like none of that existed for us. We had to go through this system. 
and navigate it, there are options now for people uh, like yourself. Like you're like, you know what? I'm going to screw it. I'm going to make my own company. Uh, and you can do it. And you can do it anywhere in the world uh, that, you, that you're listening from. So um, I appreciate you coming on the show, brother. I'm going to ask you a couple questions I ask all of my guests. Um, awesome. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? <laughs> I love that question because I get that question all the time. I sure, get parents. Of it's, it, it's it's funny because in in this generation of kids, it's never the kids call call it. It's sometimes it is, and I I okay. There's a piece of advice right there. Don't get your parents to call us to say, "Hey, um, what's uh, what, what's that like in the film industry? Is it something that my kid can thrive in? They want to make a movie." If you're 12 years old or 18 years old, find a way to get in touch with a producer. Or anybody in the place that you want to be, and just get some time on the phone. Most people will be thrilled to speak to you, um, and uh, you can do it yourself. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. Like, you don't... And listen, nothing against having your parents uh, lobby for you, but I think it's a thing. It's almost, it's very much an eye roller. We want to see initiative, you know, um, we want to see creativity. We want to see a personality, right? Um, we want to see respect. Um, cause when you're jumping into the, into the film industry, certainly in the way, uh, Alex and I have, um, you're not necessarily being hired for your creative brilliance. You're being hired because you can be a really trustworthy, reliable cog in a wheel. And, um, you it's can very be nice. Just, By the way, that's to, a very nice, very nice way of saying that cog in the wheel. There's other ways that could be mule, donkey, um, heavy lifters, uh, you know, grunt, but the cog in the wheel. And there's, there's other names that are, I'm not going to repeat <laughs> because we're, we're done with that culture. Um, if you are, if you can work on a farm, you can work on a film set. You know, you if you can work. If you can join cadets and, and uh, go, you know, uh, work in the military, you can work on a film set. If you work in a janitorial uh, at a, you know, at a hospital, you can work on a film set. Um, yeah. So it's not about the, the creative brilliance and producers aren't they don't really care if about your last short film. Um, uh, they, <laughs> yes, don't. They, they don't. They want to make sure that you're reliable and yes. that you're that you're going to be good for the culture. And perhaps that's the hack to get in. You know, the hack is. You know, we're living in a new generation where there are, we're now becoming the old guys now, Alex, I hate to say it, um, <laughs> where I'm learning so much about this new generation from my employees and my staff and whatever, you know, from young people. Um, and I appreciate learning from them because I, my ego was, was kicked out of me years ago, right? So um, I'm a lifelong learner and culture changes, you know, and I'm, I'm supposedly making documentaries and films that an audience wants to see and I don't understand them at all because I decided not to care about their language and the way they want to be respected and all this sort of thing. Like so many people make fun of millennials and, uh, you know, and the next generation. And, but you know, that's the audience. What, what, what are you doing? Not trying to understand their culture or the way they, they speak and the way they want to be spoken to. Um, so you as a young person can actually come in 
and find those right bosses, if you will, and say, listen, I, I want to help you uh, create a culture that that is rich, creative, efficient, and lean, and uh, in a way that's uh, more people like me are going to want to come work for your company or work on your sets. And I'm speaking in the context of out of the union because the union has its own system, which is very efficient as well. You come in as a trainee and then you work your way up. Um, awesome. So if that's if that's what you're going to do, I would say the exact same advice: find someone else who's in the union who's been in it for a number of years, and pick their brain. You know, uh, make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, and if you're ready, uh, it's uh, be prepared to volunteer a little bit. Um, it might not have to be the case, but if you're working with smaller companies or even like uh, part of a film co-op or, you know, a short film competition, you don't get paid on those, but you get great experience. So the more experience you get in film culture, uh, as far as the mechanism of, uh, of how set, the set, set culture, works, yeah. yeah, and set etiquette. And when I was, when I was in some of my early films, I used to stand in front of the light. And I was a camera a trainee, and I'd stand up, and I'd be like, uh, hey, guys, uh, you need a lens? And, and so they'd call me uh, Flyboy or something because I was like a fly attracted to the light all the time. Um, those are things that you learn. That's sad etiquette, right? If someone yeah. doesn't tell you, you learn the hard way. <laughs> right, right. And then hopefully it's not in an abusive way. It's hopefully in a fun way like calling you Flyboy. Right? <laughs> and, and, and exactly that, like – Talking to people, I, I don't call myself a veteran in that world because I only spent a few years in it. But uh, speak to veterans and say, hey, what are some of the areas I will fail at in my first year? You know, mm -hmm. that's a good advice. Good, that's good advice to ask, you know, and uh, people will like you for that. Like, like if you asked a key grip, hey, I want to get into grip in the grip department, but where will I fail? And then let me know, like some of the hacks so I can get around that. And then they're going to love the fact that you showed initiative to even ask the question in the first place. Anyway, long answer for you, Alex, but uh, – Fair enough. That's... Good answer. Great answer. Great answer. <laughs> now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? <sighs> yeah. Oh, so many. Um, one is just really important. Again, I'm coming talking right now from the entrepreneur perspective is surrounding yourself by people who are better than you. So – and this is a really good lesson for directors, for aspiring directors – and producers, but um, it's okay if you're a director um, and for you to hire a first AD who is way more experienced than you. And it's okay if you uh, have to be the you know the key of a camera department and you uh, and and you're hiring um, other people on your team who are actually way better DPs than you. Um, the more people you surround, even the more you surround yourself with people who are better than you. And the, and the less ego you've got, less pride, the more you're going to learn and the, and, and the quicker you're going to, you're going to um, thrive. Um, if, you, if you do this on your own and, uh, and try to hack your way through being the best on earth, um, a good chance it's going to fail. Uh, so I've surrounded myself by way better filmmakers in my company, way better DPs, way better editors. And, um, and I remember when it happened, like I, because I, I was the filmmaker at the beginning of the of building this company for a good four or five years, and then when, once I realized that my my crew were becoming because they were doing it all the time, I was trying to grow a business, uh, and I was like, "Geez, you guys are there now! Like you guys are now the product," you know. And I remember it was trippy for a minute, and I was like, "Okay, well." And a, a good advice one of my young employees told me, I, I thought it was great. He goes, "Greg, you're always going to be a, a great creative director, a great filmmaker." 
<clears throat> but what this this is my my employees saying this to me. What we need from you is to go out and do what you're doing, what, what you're best at, which is making friends and selling us more jobs. And hearing that was really, it was tough on my ego, but he was right <clears throat> because if we wanted to continue growing this company and doing cool projects, we need an executive producer that was going to go, go fishing. And that's, and executive producers go fishing for money by creating solid relationships, trusted relationships. So my job at my business is to create trusted relationships. And that's, that's what I do every single day. And last question, three of your favorite films of all time. Sweet Hereafter. Yeah, uh, I remember that movie. Yeah, that was a good, a, a, a beautiful Canadian film. And the soundtrack was great. Uh, so good. Um, I would say, I I have to say Firewalk with me, David Lynch. Wow, uh, yeah. yeah. And Peaks, because yeah. I'm such a huge Twin Peaks fan uh, during during you know those times. Um, and um, let me see here. It's always a tough... Absolutely loved Eternal Sunshine. Uh, I love Virgin mm -hmm. Suicides. Um, so I, I'm, I'm failing on answering because there's so many great films I love. Um, but I got to give you one more David Lynch film, which is Elephant Man. Yeah, uh, good movie. That film, it struck me. It, it really did. Because Lynch, Lynch is just weird, usually. This was not a weird film. This was a sad, heartfelt, emotional film. And if you haven't seen Elephant Man, you got to see it. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so I, I'm going to give you those four or five films as kind of my inspirations. And each one of them have a reason why I absolutely love them. But, uh, yeah. Very cool. Greg, man, thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, and helping us shed a little light on uh, on a problem that needs to be discussed. It's not generally discussed in public uh, very often. Well, let's so change that, man. And yeah, you're doing absolutely. a great job yourself. I'm trying, my friend. I'm trying. So thanks yeah. again, my friend. All right, Alex. Cheers, man. Thanks. I want to thank Greg for coming on the show and really shining a light on this problem that is abuse, verbal abuse, and people being taken advantage of on sets, in productions, and in this business in general. So, Greg, thank you. Thank you so much for that. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 481. And if you haven't already, please head over to FilmmakingPodcast.com subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.